You're listening to a special version of the Insight Myanmar podcast, which covers the fallout from the military coup and the democratic resistance. During this crisis, we're not only ramping up the production of our podcast episodes, but also our blog and other social media platforms as well. So we would like to invite you to check these out, along with signing up for our regular newsletter. All of our other projects have been paused indefinitely so we can focus entirely on this emergency. But for now, let's get into our show. happy to bring you the following interview with a guest who's connected to an exciting upcoming event, the Burma Spring Benefit Film Festival. It will run from February 1st to the 13th and feature a wide range of films, documentaries, shorts, animations, and panel discussions. Nowhere else can one find so many diverse forms of media connected to Myanmar that are ready to be streamed in the privacy of one's home. While there's no charge to log in and watch these features to your heart's content, the film organizers kindly request that viewers consider contributing a donation of any amount. All the proceeds will be going towards humanitarian missions in Myanmar. In their own words, the events organizers write, These provide humanitarian assistance in Chin, Kachin, Karen, Kareni, and Shan states, poor ethnic areas most severely impacted by food insecurity and emergency shelter needs. Support will also go to freelance media and nonviolent human rights activists forced into Thailand. Know that your contributions will make a difference in Myanmar through enabling dedicated local organizations to courageously carry on grassroots work in a time of darkness. 
So if you're encouraged by what you hear from today's guest, we encourage you to take advantage of this special opportunity and take in a variety of film festival events. You can search for Burma Spring Benefit Film Festival to learn more or follow the links on our website. For now, let's get into today's interview. Okay, so Kenneth, thank you very much for joining us. And it's going to be a very interesting discussion talking about the role that cinema and art more generally have in in uh, counter-coup and in, in revolutionary activities. But to set the scene and to contextualize things for our audience, I think it would be um, more useful if we start with a discussion of the films that have come out in Myanmar, let's say, during the military junta, until about 2010, 2015, and then the movies that have come out in the last 10 years and whether you see a marked difference between them. Yeah, indeed, uh, a pleasure to be here talking about these. Uh, of course, it makes me feel very nostalgic because um, I grew up in the, the heart of Yangon in the uh, 70s, 60s and the 70s, and then some something in the 80s as well. So I remember watching these formulaic kind of romantic comedies that um, the the Burmese movie industry just churned out. They just churned out like hot cakes every year by the dozens. Uh, and I have to say, you know, they're just escapist things. Usually they're, um, they show people living in air-conditioned uh, two-story, three-story buildings that normally people cannot really afford to live in. And um, they are usually about a rich family have a son or a working family have a daughter and the two of them somehow fall in love with each other and the parents disapprove of the relationship. So they have to figure out some uh, circuitous way to get together, uh, perhaps with the help of their um with the heroes or the heroines uh, best friends who uh, who also double as comedic uh, uh, comic relief in the movie that sort of thing they're really formulaic and uh, if you change the names and the locations of the locations of the plot you can probably have the same story repeating again and again only in different setting and different scenarios this was the type of movies that I grew up watching but in the last 10 years or so and we're talking about, of course, the transition that began with President Thing Singh's uh, administration, the transition to the quasi-civilian administration from military regime. In the last 10 years or so, so between 2011 to 2021, when another military coup uh, happened last year. So in those 10 years, the movie that came out were incredibly... Um, nuanced, uh, sophisticated, but I remember being incredibly impressed by the output of um, organizations like Yangon Film School, for example. And of course, uh, I also, whenever I can, I would catch the um, Human Rights, Human Dignity, the annual Human Rights, Human Dignity Film Festival organized by uh, director Minten Kokoji. Unfortunately, uh, the gentleman is one of the many talented people who are um, now in prison or in detention. Um, also, the annual Watan Film Festival. All of those actually show really sophisticated storytelling, acting. They are a, a, a dramatic departure from the kind of formulaic uh, films that I used to watch when I was um, 
when I was growing up. And, um, you know, I can't help but think that it has something to do with this. Um, even though it's not a fully democratic environment, it's a partial democracy in which art is allowed room to breathe and artists are allowed room to express themselves uh, with less restraint, less, um, less uh, worry about censorship and being punished for saying the wrong thing and things like that. So I, I was really impressed and I was really looking forward to see the Burmese film industry blossom and thrive. But unfortunately, that is now in jeopardy again because of the ongoing, um, ongoing suppression of artists, poets, um, and of course the anti-coup activities. Burma is now in a survival mode, so it's really difficult to make films when the whole country is embroiled in um, fightings and struggling to survive. And it's it's been a very rapid deterioration after a very slow uh, build. But I just want to get a handle on the psychology here. So you, you talk about these uh, romantic comedies that are just sort of mass produced by the industry back under the, the military regime. And what I'm wondering is, what was the cause of those? Because we in the West had those following uh, World War II. A lot of Audrey Hepburn's you know, famous roles and famous movies sort of fell into that category as well. And that was more driven by society's desire for, as you put it, escapism, uh, less so than, than political pressure. So I wonder, was the Myanmar film industry driven by censorship and and government pressure to make uplifting positive movies or did the people yearn for that sort of content at the time i think it was a combination of both the people who uh, who who were struggling to make a living and uh, didn't have a lot of opportunities to climb the social ladder unless you're of course a member of the uh, high-ranking uh, military military families uh, you really didn't have a whole lot of opportunities and it's also because it was an era in which everything that you publish everything that you write had to be submitted to this um, highly um, paranoid um, uh, literature scrutiny board that's a direct translation of the Burmese term Sapi Sizeye Sapi Sizeye a poet the literature literature scrutiny board um, so it seems like you couldn't really talk about politics you couldn't really talk about poverty because if you talk about poverty of you show poetry poverty on film you somehow have to address the root causes of poverty so you ended up getting into uh you risk touching politics somehow um you couldn't really say a lot about you couldn't really say a lot about the inequality except of course uh, by playing those archetypes that works very well in romantic comedy where it's used as a trope to put an obstacle between two lovers so they somehow have to overcome this uh, inequality. But you really can't talk about the root causes of the inequality that way because you'd get into trouble with the censor board. So all of those leave you with the safe topic of love as the, um, as the only territory in which movie makers get, um, movie makers have this small little room that they could play with. So I think it ends up uh, 
um, encouraging many movie makers to simply tell these kind of stories, stories that they know reliably could pass the censor board without a whole lot of problem. Um, even the censor the board is so paranoid that sometimes they would see um, symbols of resistance where there was none. So you could have a situation where you ended up showing a woman uh, wearing a certain type of flowers and uh, the censor board might think that this is a, this is a reference to Aung San Suu Kyi because uh, she tends to be... Um, her iconic image is of herself wearing a certain type of flowers. So that sort of situation, you just couldn't risk it because um, you could get banned even if you didn't intend to criticize the government. If you are perceived as criticizing the government, your movie would never see the light of day. Your, your movie would never hit the theater. So a lot of people chose the safe route. And to be safe means to stick to the romantic comedies that... Um, you uh, people have been doing for decades hmm. and i just wonder during this time was there much penetration of outside movies i mean myanmar borders india which has multiple multiple very high budget uh very high output movie industries uh korea is is on the continent as well uh the thai movie industry is reasonably sizable not to mention obviously hollywood and the european cinema industries was there much presence of these in Myanmar? Hollywood movies uh, were indeed screened in the, the one of uh, some of the largest cinemas along Bansodan Street, um, uh, Tamada Cinema, Tamada Cinema, which still exists today, um, is one of those places where people would actually lined up uh, with a long queue. Uh, 10 times, 20 times longer a queue than you would normally see lining up to watch, um, to buy tickets for Burmese movies a couple of blocks down the street. Um, you know, James Bond movies were very popular, for example, um, because they show a kind of, they, they give you a taste of what it could be like to live in a different society where people were freer to say what they wanted to say and do what they wanted to do. Um, it, it, there is, of course, still, uh, there is still the problem of censor board because the censor board will sometimes cut things that they feel are too sensual and too sexual. But Hollywood films were allowed to be screened and they were big events for Burmese cinema goers. Okay, so... What was the penetration of foreign cinema, Hollywood, European, Indian, and Korean during this period of time competing with the Myanmar cinema industry? I don't remember watching a lot of Korean films. However, um, the kind of uh, Bollywood-type Indian films and Hollywood blockbusters were regularly screened, regularly screened um, in many of the uh, major cinema houses on this main street that leads towards uh, Suli Pagoda. I remember as a kid uh, going there, watching movies with my dad, because my dad also loved watching um, English language films. So Thamada, Papa Wen, those, for example, were the two big cinemas where uh, foreign films were regularly screened. James Bond movies were big events. Um, you know, when a James Bond movie is screened, you would normally see a queue, a line that is 10, 20 times longer than 
a line that you would normally see lining up to go into a Burmese film. Um, I think it's just because um, people see the difference. People see the difference in those movies where characters are obviously acting with more freedom and they are living life uh, with a lot less restraint and they have a lot more opportunities and um, they there are a lot of um, stories that they watch in films about how uh, people from lower classes could actually, through merit, work their way up and become successful. These are almost fantasies for average Burmese moviegoers because it wasn't part of their reality and it would be the sort of stories that they could rarely see realistically depicted anyway in the kind of formulaic Burmese film. So people who have a yearning for um, good, sophisticated storytelling, artistically made foreign films, or just escape as blockbusters, but made with um, a big budget and made with much better special effects, they had the opportunity to go see uh, foreign films, yes. So there was some sort of influence, I must say. However, you know, um, in those days, making film wasn't as easy as just uh, bringing your digital camera and shooting uh, on the street or aiming your camera at somebody and telling them, okay, start talking because you have to apply for a permit. You have to uh, do buy uh, the physical, the physical kind of film that were sort of limited and rationed uh, because it costs foreign exchange for the government to buy them. Uh, this was a situation under the Nguyen government, under the Nguyen quasi-socialist authoritarian government. So I have a feeling that there were a lot of people who, if they had been given the chance to make films, they could have made really great films that were on par with foreign films, but they just weren't able to, um, they just weren't given the kind of opportunity. So you ended up with only the handful of uh, commercial film producers who keep producing the formulaic films that they are that were safe to produce. And so moving forward to the the beginning of opening up under this sort of pseudo-democratic system following the 2010 election, uh Dane Sane comes in officially a democratic government, civilian government, uh despite the fact that he himself was commander in chief. And then of course after the 2015 election we see the NLD. Did, did the films in this time begin to become more uh, socially aware, more informative, more political? I, I would say so. I would say so. Um, but what um, I've seen, one, one of the things that emerged was documentary filmmaking. And this is especially true with the output of organizations like Yangon Film School. Uh, um, I think somehow the young filmmakers um, who maybe for budget reasons, they didn't, they didn't really have the budget to actually hire or uh, hire a famous actor or an actress to be in the film. So what they tend to do is they turn the camera inward. They turn the camera towards the society, the people around them. So you end up with uh, films that, for example, record the daily lives of young novices and nuns in a monastery. You see them in an incredibly honest, honest way that previously you weren't able to see. Movies like 
my Buddha is my punk, for example, it shows you this kind of a subculture that is that was starting to um, starting to take shape. The, the punk rock culture, the punk rock culture. It was the sort of thing that previously under Nguyen government, because of the conservative social rules and because uh, the government tends to clamp down on anything that they deem is Western influence, would, would have been impossible. But here you have in the last 10 years in movies like My Buddha is, uh, My Buddha is My Punk, you see young people with spiky hair and Doc Martin boots and ripped jeans walking around. And... Um, producing the kind of move uh, the kind of music that they want to produce and also along with it they actually uh, take a much more edgy edgy message to talk about um, to talk about the lack of justice in um, the way the ethnic groups are being treated those are the sort of things that previously you couldn't even talk about openly in uh, tea shops um, so you you certainly couldn't show these sort of thing. And the other things that we start to see are um, filmmakers also from abroad were able to go into the country and started making films that capture uh, the way the Burmese society was. So you start to see movies like This Kind of Love, which talks about, um, which talks about an activist who is openly gay, who went back to Burma um, uh, taking advantage of the things in government's invitation and the partial opening to go back to Burma from Thailand, where his headquarter was. And we're talking about uh, an activist named Aung Myo Min. Wu Aung Myo Min is the centerpiece and the subject of this documentary, This Kind of Love. So in a way, it is a documentary film that features a hero who is actually a member of the LGBTQT. Um, LGBTQT, of course, is uh, there isn't even a dignified word in Burmese language to talk about members of the LGBTQT. You have what's like a chow, gandu, jibong, which all kind of roughly describe effeminate men, but none of them give them the respect that they deserve wherever. Um, but with movies like that, you start to see that people have to start to find a new kind of language to talk about this group in a respectful way. And um, the, the subject of the film, Wang Myo Min, is now um, Minister of Human Rights in the newly formed uh, the National Unity Government, the NUG, that is leading, um, leading the resistance movement against the coup. We're talking about how uh, the subject of the, uh, for example, the subject of the film, This Kind of Love, is a member of the LGBTQT, and he is Wang Myo Min, who is actually now the Minister of Human Rights for the NUG government. So he was actually an actor, personally? He was the subject of a documentary, so he wasn't acting, but he was actually um as it was happening, the director was following his transition from an uh, overseas activist to an overseas activist who was coming home. And the filmmaker was able to capture it and then was able to capture his thoughts and reflections on the changing society. And of course, that was change for the better during the quasi-civilian government. I mean, that's quite a, it's quite a rise. And it's, it's a good sort of segue into 
this uh, bigger topic of the role that art has in influencing society and in influencing uh, politics, do you think that the society itself and people themselves in Myanmar have been made more politically aware, have been made more socially open-minded as a result of the liberalization of the cinema industry? I, th I think certainly um, I remember that uh, in 1999, when I went back to the country, when I went back home for a visit, the country was still very much under um, um, a very oppressive um, phase of the military rule, and a lot of people didn't want to talk about politics. Even if I broached the subject, people will politely try to avoid the subject. But things were quite different in 2011 and 2012 when I went back. It was an itch that they was dying to scratch, and finally they could do it. And so everyone, everyone from the um, tea shop waiter to a taxi driver that I met, the moment they found out that I was, um, I could speak Burmese, their mother tongue, and I came. I, I was from the U.S., but I was originally from Burma. The moment I they found out these three important facts about me, the the topic of politics, all these pent up frustrations about lives and lack of opportunities, all these injustices that they felt they were they were forced to witness during the. Um, previous military regime or um, the, the, and then of course not only that also the new hope that they have for what could possibly happen if the country moved in the same direction that it was uh, it seems to be moving um, during that uh, partial opening days everything just come tumbling out of the mouth coming out of the mouth is as if like the dam just broke and everything came pouring out and I think that that is reflected also in the kind of poems that we hear, we see written during those last 10 years, the kind of uh, movies that were made that become much more honest about the, uh, the underbellies of the society or the corruptions that are happening or the fragile nature of the democracy. You see these in movies like The Vote, which captures the, uh, the, the moment when people went to the polling station to vote for their favorite NLD NLD um, representative and how they waited in the middle of a stormy night with bated breath for the result to be announced. All of those things, all of those things shows the, the society in transition, shows how democracy, even if wasn't fully realized, at that moment you could see that something like democracy was struggling to be born. Mm. I'm just wondering about specifically the the four eights uprising. Uh, I'm talking about democracy is one thing. Talking about you know progress and and elections is one thing. Was there a sort of taboo on using cinema or or similar sort of highly emotional art forms to portray or to discuss the four eights uprising? Oh, the 8888 uprising was a major event. I was there. I was a final year English major university student when I was there. Um, afterwards, the year, uh, I was there for one year later. And then after that, um, I immigrated um, to San Francisco, where I live now. 
But I remember that uh, in the movies or in the poetry, in the stories that came out afterwards, you could see that there were some poets and artists who were trying to make reference to it. But they would more likely do it uh, using symbols rather than openly talking about it. If they are openly talking about it, probably because they, they have escaped or fled abroad and they are beyond the reach of the the Burmese junta's uh, judicial system or the army's, uh, uh, the army's uh, reach. So you could think about poets like, for example, Maung Chonwe. Maung Chonwe has already passed away, but uh, he wrote this poem called To Wilt is to bloom, which I actually translated. Um, I don't remember all the lines um, by heart, I'm afraid, but it was it was something about how for flowers to wilt is to bloom. If you pluck one, one more rises. If you drop two, two more spring up. Come knock us down, do your worst, we'll come back again. That sort of defiant spirit, um, at, the, at the surface level, he could argue, if he was somehow dragged into the interrogation um, interrogation center by the censor board or the junta's henchmen um, demanding what he was talking about, he could, he could argue that he was simply talking about the fragile nature of flowers with short lifespan. But people who were reading between the line, and a lot of the people can read between the line, knew that he was talking about the 88 uprising. So a lot of that sort of movement where we, the, the readers and the people who saw, um, people who saw the artwork recognize what the artist or the poet or the writer was trying to say. Um, but, um, but that's also the surface level where it gives the artist room to argue that that is not about revolution. It's simply an innocent piece of art about flowers or something. It's a sort of double play with the, with the censorship board. Okay, I just wanted to sort of jump forward 30 years uh, and contrast the way that the 4 rates uprising was being treated by artists and cinema uh, and movie makers and documentary makers to the way that the current revolution is being treated. Do you, do you see there being a, a large and sudden shift in the way that people approach dramatizing and discussing and, and portraying the current revolution and the 88 revolution? The 88 revolution, um, there were a lot of eyewitnesses. There were a lot of written, there were, there were written eyewitness accounts, but there were very few photographic evidence or very few video evidence. Um, the ones that I've seen were really grainy footages um, that that were really difficult to see. Difficult to see. Um, difficult to see. Not well. Difficult to see because it it usually shows you know people being shot in the middle of a protest. So that in itself was difficult to see, but also difficult to see because it was just not very. Um, they were just grainy and they were not of high quality or good resolution. But the two thousand two uh, two thousand two thousand twenty one February uh, coup. And the, the footage that emerged from it, whether it's a footage that records real 
events that were happening on the ground, like um, the army driving a car through a group of protesters, or whether it was um, photos of the remains of villages who were burned alive. We are talking about, you know, high-definition videos. Many, In many cases, they were uploaded live while it was happening there. So we have a lot more photographic evidence. And I think there are also movie makers that at least in the early at least in the early days in the early days of the uh, coup when a lot of people rallied together and came out in force and great numbers and overwhelming numbers taking to the street and um, many of them actually shot films those incredible those incredible shots of uh, like a sea of people flowing into the streets. There were a lot of photographs that are available. Um, there's some of the movies that are made in the early in the early days um, of the of the anti coup movement before the army started cracking down with um, um, sniper shots targeting uh, protesters, for example or um, just indiscriminately firing into the crowd. Before that, before that sort of event happened, there were a lot of good footage, a lot of uh, artistically made uh, films that document the moment. Um, I didn't see a lot of fictionalized things because it, they didn't need to fictionalize something. something. When you have something that dramatic and something that historic and mon, uh monumental was happening right before you. If you're a filmmaker, your your instinct is to grab your camera and start shooting what was happening in front of you. You wouldn't feel the need to fictionalize or tell a different kind of story. And I, I want to go a little bit more broad here, because uh, this is a, a favorite question of mine. What is the role that you see for filmmakers, cinematographers, and artists generally in this particular conflict but also in post-conflict progress and, and reconciliation for the nation? I think there is a need. I've seen a good number of sort of like um, docu- documentaries, documentaries that are made um, some better quality than others, so, uh, made about what happened as an event. As, as, as the coup that was happening and the resistance movement. But I think there are a lot of stories to be told about the individual lives that are disrupted, you know? Uh, actors and actresses who um, were on the front line. Um, the, the male model like um, Bindagon, for example, um, he was actually on the front line. He wasn't just uh, waving little flags and banners in the back of the crowd. He was actually on the front line, taking fire, literally taking fire when uh, bullets were whizzing through the crowd. Um, he was arrested, and I think he is recently sentenced to a long jail term. So I don't know when we'll see him outside. Um, the, the stories of individuals whose lives are disrupted like that, stories of um, actors and actresses like um, uh, Pliti U uh, or Indra Jazin, um, people who used to be um, pop pop icons and fashion icons and uh, instantly recognized uh, movie icons who are now in detention, in jail because they sided with the people and they spoke out against the military. Individual lives that are disrupted um, like um, 
booksellers on Bansodanlan streets who rely on foot traffic, who could no longer count on that to make a daily living, or mohinga sellers, you know, uh, the fish chowder sellers and the uh, coconut noodle uh, sellers who... Um, or the street vendors, or the street vendors who have to count on foot traffic and a, a relatively peaceful environment to make their daily lives. Um, all of these lives, what happened to these people? And um, what, what were they doing during, what are they doing now in the middle of this, um, in the middle of this highly dangerous uh, moment when, um, when speaking out against the government could, get you killed or get you arrested. Uh, get you arrested is actually the least that could happen to you. Getting getting killed is a more likely scenario. Um, it's happening every day because um, we can look back at the numbers according to the uh, um, Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, Burma, uh, AAPPB. Um, so far since the coup, about 1,400 people have been killed. 1,400 people have been killed in the last 365 days or so. Um, th th those are astounding numbers. Numbers of people who were killed just for saying they don't want to live under a military regime. And I think there is, there is something to be said about the films that... Um, I, I look forward to the day when the filmmakers will actually, either through recreation or through the footage that they were able to um, somehow shoot, despite these difficult circumstances, um, shoot them so that in the, later in the future, when better and in better days, they can release them for public viewing. I look forward to seeing those films that tell the stories of individual lives being disrupted, disrupted and um, anonymous, peop anonymous people who perform heroic deeds during this time. I mean... It bears sort of repetition, and you've mentioned this a few times, that quite a few of these people are in prison. Um, some, some of them tragically have died, but quite a few uh, of the actors, the models, uh, cinematographers, these people have been detained. And I think it just goes to show that the military seems to be aware of the potential power that these people have. The military understands that they can spread the word and they can invigorate people and remind people of the atrocities that are going on. And they and they feel that they need to stop that, them. That has always been true of the power of the celebrities. That is true of Hollywood celebrities. That is true of um, Burmese celebrities as well. Um, you're absolutely right. The military understand that it makes a difference when buying the gun steps out in front of a protest crowd, then suddenly he invigorates a lot of other young people who um, respects him and uh, idolize him to follow his example. Um, it makes a difference when a young, beautiful, and brave actress like Bain Kyothu goes on Twitter and talk about how the military is shooting at the um, shooting at the protesters um, because people trust her voice. So there was they were less likely to say this is uh, made up footage or this is somehow fabricated footage. 
they they trust Pai Piotu because they trust her integrity and they trust um in some way the kind of characters that she plays uh, personify that kind of um, heroine. So they trust her. And all of those things the military recognizes. So that is why they go after them hard and um, they issue and they issue a warrant in which a lot of the celebrities that were anti-coup were listed in that warrant. And uh, of course, that um, that started that started the situation where a lot of them have to go into hiding and some of them were forced to come to give themselves up because the military would arrest their family members as hostage and tell them uh, to come and give yourself up or we will do God knows what to the family member, young child that uh, they are holding hostage. So yeah, many of these um, idols, many of these... Uh, um, male, female models and uh, singers, um, they, 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 I would say they did the right thing um, in this historic juncture in Burma, and many of them are paying a heavy price. One of the beauty queen, um, for, uh, one of the beauty queens, uh, Tata Te, for example, you would probably see her now actually um, in um, in. Military uniform because she has joined the uh, armed resistance called the People's Defense Force, the PDF, and she's now in, living in the jungle, um, marching and uh, training along with other young people who have escaped the big city life, chosen instead to be in the jungle um, as members of the PDF. Wow. I mean, I think it. You know, people forget very often that celebrities are capable of these things. That there's a there's a bit of a negative view of celebrities as just looking for opportunities to to gain fame, to gain celebrity, as it were. They act and they play people, but they're not genuine. And and certainly some of the celebrities have received backlash for their their perceived sort of fake uh, support. Uh, Nietzsche Wu. Uh, comes to mind in that regard, but some of these other people, like it, it really goes to show that no, they they're willing to put their platforms to good use, and push a good cause, and put their own lives at risk, in order to support something. It's true. Um, I've also heard about the criticism against Neji um, U and a number of other celebrities who many people feel. Uh, took advantage of the situation for popularity. Um, what you saw was a, a handful of celebrities who did nothing other than coming down, often um, surrounded by their own entourage, and took a couple of selfies, raising their three fingers, and then they'll disappear when things really get tough and dangerous. So those we could tell are opportunists, opportunists who simply use this um, critical critical moment in history to further their own um, celebrityhood, I guess. Um, however, I think there are real real um, heroic people who have made great sacrifices like Ingrid Jawson, Bindagon, um, people like Lumin, a uh, famous male actor who is also in prison, Pieti U, Bindagon, Tata Te. No question about their personal sacrifices that they have made and the uh, 
what their family members also have to cope with because of the consequences of their involvement in it. So many people say that this, um, if you can call it the silver lining, this is that this anti-coup movement exposes uh, the hypocrites from the genuine democracy supporters in the celebrity community. Absolutely. So to move the subject to something uh, less dark, uh, there is a Myanmar Film Festival uh, coming up soon. And uh, I understand you'll you'll be able to uh, tell us a little bit about that and uh, the different films that will be on offer. Yes, um, I'm part of um, this upcoming online film festival. It's called Burma Spring Benefit Film Festival. This is actually the second incarnation. The first incarnation took place in June of last year, in 2021, as um, an immediate response uh, because we felt that... Um, in the middle of a pandemic, there wasn't a lot of um, rallying and assembling that we could do, but an online film festival allows us to bypass this problem with a pandemic. So you could stay home and you could uh, watch documentary films. Um, many of them were uh, donated. The filming right, the screening rights were donated by the filmmakers when they heard, when they were approached by us. Uh, me and the other co-organizers, um, and told them about what we wanted to do, they very generously donated the screening rights to their films. So many of them are documentary films. Um, there are a few that are uh, fictional. Um, it will fall into the kind of a storytelling narrative type film, but most of them are documentary films. Most of them have something to do with Burma, Burmese society, uh, the Burmese culture somehow. So it was the it was a film festival that allowed us to raise close to fifty thousand. We make sure that nobody was turned away for uh, for not donating, uh, but we encourage people to buy um, a ticket to the virtual uh, film festival so that they could watch the films that are um, in the lineup during the festival's um, two weeks, three weeks period. So we're doing it again. We're doing it again in February because obviously February is the anniversary, the anniversary of the military coup. And uh, we want to make sure that people remember that uh, the Burmese people have been fighting, um, struggling very bravely. Um, against this ruthless military for 365 days, and they are determined to keep fighting. So the world needs to do whatever it can to support them and make sure that um, make sure that uh, the military junta uh, cannot stay in power much longer. So the film festival is inspired by that. So we are doing a second round. Uh, it's simply called Burma Spring Benefit Film Festival 2022. It'll start in February and it'll run for about two weeks. There are a slew of new films that we're adding, new films that we're adding because we have since discovered their existence. Uh, and the filmmakers have also discovered us because of the first time. So they felt like the first time they didn't get enough notice, so they weren't able to participate. This time, they want to participate. So I'm looking That's forward to it. And I think I want to reiterate and echo what you've just said. The anniversary of the coup, or 
potentially the commemoration of the coup uh, is on the 1st of February. And attention on Myanmar has been dwindling internationally. And it is incumbent on all of us to try and refocus international attention to place ever more pressure on the military to to stand down and to to allow a democratic civilian government to uh, take the position to which it was lawfully elected. And one of the big things we deal with is how do we re-engage an audience? So what I want to ask you is, these films in the uh, in the festival, do you feel that they are accessible to someone who doesn't have much experience with Myanmar culture and history? They are definitely accessible. Um, when you look at films like um, Golden Kingdom, for example, it was made by uh, a Berkeley-based filmmaker, Golden Kingdom. It's a classic a classic uh, narrative type story. This is one of the few films that are actually not documentary. It tells the story of a group of young Burmese monks who have to fend for themselves when their abbot um, goes away from the monastery. And the first you see them having fun as kid normally would, even though they are monks, they are still young boys underneath their robes. So they're having fun with their newfound freedom, but very quickly they realize that they are actually threatened by an encroaching civil war that is happening. So they have to confront the concept of death. They have to deal with tragedy that stares, tragedy staring right in their face. They have to confront the uncertainty of uh, when their airbot will come back or if their airbot will come back. So these sort of films, even if you don't know anything about uh, the country, even if you don't know anything about the root causes of the civil war that is happening in the background, you can still appreciate that as simply coming of age film of uh, a group of young monks who are coming to terms with uh, adult issues that they, at the moment when they were not necessarily prepared to face them. Films like um, the short animation film, My Life I Don't Want, uh, by one of my respected um, Burmese animators. Um, so uh, that's that's a f six to seven minutes uh, animation film that simply tells the story about the struggles that uh, a Burmese girl will go through from birth to marriage and beyond just for simply being born as a girl in a conservative um, conservative uh, society. If you take away the setting and if you take away the occasional Burmese words that the character might utter. There are not a lot of words, by the way, because the animator makes a great job telling the story through visuals rather than rely on language. So, so if you take away all of those, that could be about a young woman who was born in Iran or a young woman who was born in any kind of um, country where um, women are treated as second-class citizens and they have to go through a much higher kind of uh, hurdle in order to succeed in life. So all of those films are highly accessible. And there are also uh, speakers' forums. Speakers' forums are now um, recorded and readily available um, because they were, they were live forums in the previous event. So the speakers' forums actually gives you a lot more information should you choose to have a better understanding of what's happening from the coup that happened to the to the um 
to the nature of filmmaking under censorship, to um, the women activists who were able to raise um, the women's rights issue in the last uh, in the last ten years in civilian rule. All of those things will help you understand more about the country. But many of the film you could simply watch it without knowing anything about Burma. And I think the reason that that's such an important question is because we don't really see much representation of Burma, Burmese culture, Burmese history in cinema, particularly not in the West. But even even if we go further afield, we go to Asia, Indian cinema does not seem to focus much on, on Burma. Thai cinema similarly does not seem to focus much on Burma. Do you think there is any real sense that a Western audience would have through cinema of where Burma is and what Burmese culture is? I think there were a handful of films, a handful of films that um, depict Burma um, to different degrees of um, to different degrees of faithfulness, I suppose. You know, for example, you have a film called The Lady, which is inspired by the life of uh, um, Aung San Suu Kyi, the um, state councillor. Um, during the civilian rule, the one of the founding members of NLD, who is now in detention and facing a kangaroo court set up by the uh, the junta, and um, so in the lady you see Michelle Yao playing um, a real person, Aung San Suu Kyi, and I thought she did a great job. She did a great job in. Um, emulating Aung San, the real Aung San Suu Kyi's um, mannerism, speech pattern. Uh, she had to memorize Burmese, long, famous uh, Burmese speeches that Aung San Suu Kyi gave in real historic events without actually being a Burmese speaker. So in that sense, she's um, she did an incredible job. It's really like um, reproducing Winston Churchill's We Shall Never Surrender speech given at the House of Common without speaking English, but having to learn it phonetically. So Michelle Yao did a great job for that movie. So that sort of movie um, gives you a good sense of what happened to the country. You also have movie like Beyond Rangoon, Beyond Rangoon, um, th that has as a central character who is uh, a young American woman who is traveling in Burma. So you see the country, you see the country going through uprising and um, uh, student, students, that actually, that movie um, talks about the 8888 uprising and it recreate many of the historic um, uh, uh, tragic events that happened in the, um, 88th uprising through the uh, and you see it through the eyes of the center character who is an American American traveler so so it makes it much more accessible all of those movies even in Rambo even in Rambo that was made in 2008 when Sylvester Stallone was playing a sort of like a adventurous uh, freelance tour guide who was guiding uh, a crew of military personnel and volunteers trying to deliver medicine to uh, refugees. Even in Rambo, you saw what was happening. Um, it was an incredibly violent film, I must say, but um, most of the violence, um, sadly, 
um, turned out to be fairly realistic. If you think about now what we are reading in the headlines about how the military, the military soldiers burn villages alive or um, shoot them indiscriminately. Um, but even in movies like Rambo 2008, you saw glimpses of the country. Some movies depict the country uh, they do a much better job at depicting the culture and much more nuance. Others, they sort of use the crisis that is crisis and the um, tension that is uh, readily available in the country as a as a storytelling uh, a plot mechanism. But it, 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 through these movies, you get some sense of what the country is. I think, and and I would agree. My my only concern with this is that. We look at these movies. The lady, uh, very well known in Burma, phenomenally well known movie. But further afield, especially in the Anglosphere, it's generally rated as a very mediocre movie. It's not seen as as particularly popular. It wasn't, I think, a financial success. Although we did see uh, accolades in um, in the sort of European independent film circles. And despite, as you say, Michelle Yeoh's absolutely phenomenal performance, um, I, and, and very difficult barriers to overcome, very difficult barriers to overcome. But despite that, it was generally not received all that well. We look at Rambo, and again, the focus of the movie is on political upheaval. The focus of both the lady and Rambo in their own ways are the cruelty and the greed of the military in seizing power and resisting democracy. Do you feel that there is, I think, more of an emphasis on this element of Burmese history than on the actual personal culture and the experiences and the the mentality and the outlook of everyday Burmese people? I would, I would love to see, for example, a Hollywood, uh, a capable, talented Hollywood director's depiction of uh, a Burmese immigrant. Um, the, it could be actually a humorous story, not necessarily a tragic or depressing story. I would love to see uh, the comical depiction of the trial and errors of a newly arrived Burmese immigrant struggling to fit into American society or British society or in Thailand, where a lot of things would strike him as um, um, alien technologies and new and don't know how to, how to deal with those things. I would love to see a Hollywood director's um, recreation of um, recreation of historic battles or colonial colonial Burma in a way in, in a way that uh, depict what society was like at the time um, so th those are opportunities that still exist um, and I really think that the country is much bigger Burma is much bigger than the bloodshed and the uh, tragic headlines that people see. This is the country that inspired George Orwell to wrote his seminal colonial masterpiece, Burmese Day. This is the country that inspired uh, Rudyard Kipling to pen his um, famous poem, Mandalay. Uh, this is the country that inspired Paul Thoreau to wrote about his train travel in the Great Railway Bazaar. I think the country is much bigger than the tragedy and the civil war and the military coup and the bloodshed that we are seeing. 
It's a country where, um, you know, um, the peaceful rhythm of um, the Arabity River and the sound of the wind chimes and the Shwedagong pagodas, all of those, all of those would make great cinematic elements. But unfortunately, because of what has been happening in the country, when people think about Burma, they usually think about the um, they usually think about the issues that are associated with the screaming headlines in the news. So we are talking about the student uprising in '88 and the 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 Rohingya the Rohingya issue and um, Aung San Suu Kyi and now the current coup and how the people are fighting against it. So a lot of people don't seem to have like a warm and cozy approachable image of Burma. Um, for many of them, it's really difficult to it's difficult to take because it's tragedy and one can only digest a certain amount of tragedy in an average day. But I would love to see those other kind of movies emerge. Mm. And I think it's it, it's important that we don't allow the image of the whole country to just be reduced to a one-dimensional sort of caricature of a failed democracy, especially when it is such a rich country with such a complex and diverse culture. So moving back to the, the um, film festival, would you say that these films uh, bring that sort of more diverse and more nuanced examination of what it is to be Burmese and what Burma is? Many of the films that are in the lineup are, for good reason, um, made in the last 10 years when there was this partial opening that allowed um, filmmakers to go into the country and uh, make these films or allowed Burmese filmmakers to turn the lens um, turn the lens um, uh, uh, on their own and shoot what was happening around them and in their life, capture them, document them. So I, I think, yes, these films are much more diverse. So if we look at films like, if we look at films like um, um, Quarter, Quarter Number Zero, Quarter Number Zero talks about this this uh, refugee community that um, that move into move into an uh, started off as an illegal encampment on the edge of Yangon after the Nagis uh, cyclone, and the community faced discrimination and. Um, even though they were facing discrimination and uh, people looking down on them and economic hardship, there is still love. There is still romance. There is still um, people trying to donate uh, from whatever little daily wages that they earn through selling fish. There's still uh, cycles of life and death happening and happiness and joy in the middle of all those these um, struggles. So all these movies actually go beyond the, um, the coup and the bloodshed that we are talking about. There are stories that, there are movies that simply tell the story of uh, um, the LGBTQT um, members who are striving, struggling to get the recognition that they deserve. Um, so those movies have nothing to do. Those movies have nothing to do with the coup, but they tells you, um, they tells you about how ordinary people in Burma live and find joy um, despite the hardship. Excellent. And and hopefully that's going to help balance out the, the meager and I think 
a, a little bit biased perception that uh, that cinema has historically given foreign cinema has historically given Myanmar. And so, on a final note, I just want to ask you: you clearly have a very solid understanding of the cinema industry and and of cinema as an art form. What advice, if any, would you give to young Burmese people today who, despite all the chaos around them, might be considering uh, a role in in the cinema industry? You know, if um, somebody is in the country, I would say, first of all, uh, try to be safe. No footage is worth uh, risking one's life and dying for it. I, I don't think. I, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to see any talented filmmakers um, shot dead because they are somehow trying to capture some moment. Um, but um, the things that seems to be ordinary, the things that are happening uh, around them are really good historical footage. They, uh, they are a record, a document, a chronicle of what everyday people are going through under the military regime. And I have no doubt that even, even in these dark days, ordinary Burmese people somehow will still find an opportunity to find humor in a comic book that they read or in uh, pleasure in a cup of tea that they enjoy even though tomorrow is uncertain for them. I would say um, capture those moments if, if they can if they are in the country. Those are probably um, one day, better days will come, I have no doubt. And one day these will, these will be good footage, good uh, raw material that they could draw from to assemble together really good stories about how everyday people cope with the military regime, military rule, um, and the coup. And if you're a Burmese filmmaker who is fortunate enough to be overseas in a country with much more freedom, of course, then you can also document the struggle of people who have been displaced by the military coup and also tell the story of, um, you don't necessarily have to tell the story of uh, the coup, you can simply tell the story of Burmese culture and the quirky humor that um, Burmese people tend to exhibit even in the tragic moments. All of those are good approaches, I think. Excellent. I want to thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much. We'd like to take this time to thank our generous supporters who have already given. We simply cannot continue to provide you with this content and information without the wonderful support of generous listeners, donors, and friends like you. Each episode helps in providing access to one more voice, one more perspective, one more insight. Every donation of any size is greatly appreciated and it helps us to continue this mission. We greatly appreciate your generosity, which allows us to maintain this platform and everything else we do. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go to support a wide range of humanitarian missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, 
families of deceased victims, internally displaced person IDP camps, food for impoverished communities, military defection campaigns, undercover journalists, monasteries and nunneries, education initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and much more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution for a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian aid work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. And donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either the Insight Myanmar or Better Burma websites for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at If you'd like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Thank you.